scripture reading is Isaiah 35. It's page somewhere in that blue Bible. It's page 595 in that blue Bible. If you using that blue Bible, this is looking forward. The Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is looking forward to a day when a moment comes, when this season comes, when there's someone who comes and opens the eyes of the blind and opens the ears of the deaf, who lets who takes the lame man and makes him able to leap again, and um, the tongue of the mute singing for joy. He's looking forward to that day. And I want you to notice as I read Isaiah 35, not only how the creatures are affected, humans, but how creation is impacted when that day is going to come. So Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, of Yahweh it is in the Hebrew here. They shall see the glory of Yahweh, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a, like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool on thirsty ground, springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. Hallelujah. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. And they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion. With singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So notice that Isaiah is looking forward to that day when someone comes who begins this, who brings this to pass. It's looking forward to the coming of Christ. And so now let's go to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, we're going to start reading in verse 12. It's page 935 in your blue Bibles there. Paul is in the middle of defending himself before a local Roman magistrate, Festus. And Festus has brought in one of the regional uh, Jewish kings, as he calls him, King Agrippa. Agrippa brought along his wife, Bernice. So Paul is about to say some things to Festus and Agrippa and to Bernice. He's defending himself and explaining what his mission is. So we pick up right in the middle of his explanation in verse 12. In this connection, I, Paul, journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. He was hauling away Christians, putting them in jail, torturing them and tormenting them. Some he put to death. And so I was going to Damascus with the authority of the Jewish elite and religious leaders to do this. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who, who journeyed with me and went we had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
It is hard to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and into those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. Why would he do that? So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Well, what's the reason for that? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul goes on to, to tell his own analysis to King Agrippa. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying before so that, uh, both the small and the great, saying nothing, saying nothing, but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. What I read to you from Acts 26 and Isaiah 35, it is the encouraging it is the edifying word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, as we dive a bit deeper into the gospel, examining what it is and what it contains, we pray in the words of your son Jesus here in, in Acts 26, we pray your help to open our eyes so that as we continue to turn from darkness to light and continue to turn from the power of Satan to you, our God, that we would continue to flourish in the forgiveness of our sins and continue to thrive in this place among those who are sanctified by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I had a cold this last week, probably Monday or Tuesday. It kicked, um, it kicked my shines, Steve. That had to do with today's adult class. So if I sound gravelly, it's not because I've started smoking again. So there's some notes on the back of the worship guide. If you're visiting and don't know that, there's uh, two points there. It's on the back of the worship guide, lots of space. And if your care group is able to meet tonight, depending on the weather, there's some questions there for your care group as well. So I had an aunt whose name was Nadine. I'm just going to use her name, but I want you to know, I actually named, I'm going to tell you the story using her name, but this has nothing to do with her. Nadine was driving to the store with her two friends. And so they came to the first intersection. She's in the driver's seat and her friends are in the passenger seat in the back seat. And they came to the first intersection and the light turned red and Nadine raced right through the red light. Her friends were stunned, to say the least. Well, it happened again at the very next red light. They sailed right through it, and they came to a third red light, and as they sailed through the third red light, her friends cried out, Nadine, we just ran through three red lights. You're going to get us killed. And Nadine gasped, me? I thought you were driving. 
<laughs> it's kind of a silly story. But it does give us a sense of, what, of why we do not want to assume the gospel. Because when we run into red lights, right, we'll lose the gospel. We don't want to assume the gospel. We want to actually know it. And that's why we began the series two weeks ago. What is the gospel? And we were answering that question. We will continue to answer that question for the next few weeks. We heard some pretty surprising, disappointing things at the very beginning of how confused people are about what the gospel is and what its content is. I gave you some examples from surveys and some other things. But we've also heard quite amazing things. In a nutshell, for example, the gospel is, as we've seen, is the glad tidings. Your God reigns and His name is Jesus. And we heard that the gospel also contains who Jesus is and what He has done, is doing, and will do for His people. Today, we move to another aspect, another piece of what the gospel is. The gospel is God's promised world rescue operation being proclaimed. His world rescue operation. And you can see the two points there. I'm just drawing from Peter's, or from Paul's testimony in Acts 26. Verse 18 is going to be Jesus' own words to him. And we see that the gospel gives gospel liberation. And then we're going to get down to verse 22 and 23 as Paul is talking about the content of the gospel We're going to see that the gospel gushes out of God's story. And these two really do go together. Gospel gives gospel liberation and it gushes out of God's story. And that's the two points. And so the gospel gives gospel liberation. And Jesus' words in verse 18, Paul, here's why I'm sending you to these people, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, the Gospels we've already come across and we've already recognized, the Gospel is most concerned to draw us into fidelity. As Jesus was preaching the Gospel of God, He says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. And so the Gospel is primarily concerned with calling us into fidelity But forgiveness is there as well. You can't miss it in these words, along with so much else. Forgiveness fits into the glad tidings that your God reigns and His name is Jesus. And this is who He is and what He has done is doing and will do for His people. And so notice that Paul is commissioned by Jesus to declare the gospel. And the gospel announcement brings about gospel liberation. You hear it in a couple of different ways. First off, it's all that from to language. Did you notice that? It's it's said twice. From what? From darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. Right? So there's part of that gospel liberation. We, We would use the term repentance, turning from and turning toward. And that's part of the gospel message. But it's a gospel that gives liberation. Gospel liberation. And there in that turning from darkness to light, there in that turning from the power of Satan to the life-giving, love-giving, liberty-giving God, there, Paul is told by Jesus, there is forgiveness. That cleaning off of the slate, which also in itself sets us free 
so that we're not shackled even more fully with our guilt and so forth. So let me give you an example of what I mean here by some of this. And I can give you lots of examples. There's thousands. But here's where the gospel liberation can punch home. And it only has to do with the fact that I was reading this book this week. It's Paul Tripp's book. He wrote it in 2000 called War of Words. Anybody read War of Words? Yeah, yeah. It's a great book written in 2000. I highly recommend it. But in that book, he talks about how each of us often misuse words to manipulate, to dominate, and excoriate, right? To tear people down. We often use words to manipulate, dominate, and excoriate. Because, as Tripp will say, quote, our words often reveal that we are not so much trusting in the Lord, but we are trying to be the Lord. Our words show often that we're not trusting in the Lord, but we're trying to be the Lord. Think about the last argument you had with your spouse. That was a lordship argument, more likely. I want my way. Why don't you see it my way? Think about the argument you had with your adult children or your little kids. That's a lordship argument. Who's going to have the upper hand here? Think about the argument you've had and some of the things you said to a co-worker or about a co-worker. Tell me that wasn't a lordship misuse. You're trying to be lord in this situation. We all fall into that. That's what Paul is told by Jesus, to turn from darkness. That's darkness. To turn from the power of Satan. That's the power of Satan. Misusing words. And so Paul Tripp will go on and he will say, because of the fall in Genesis 3, we no longer speak up to God's standard, but we speak down to the serpent's standard. We no longer speak up to God's standard, we speak down to the serpent's standard. Oh, the power of Satan is still alive and well on planet Earth. Make a great title for a book. And we all live there. Just listen to what you say. Thank God not everything you say comes out of your mouth, so hallelujah. But Paul goes on, Paul Tripp goes on, and he brings the gospel in. And here's where you feel and you sense the gospel liberation, just on one application, just thinking about our words. And Paul Tripp says, quote, Nowhere is our weakness more dramatically revealed than in our struggle with words, but we need not despair. Christ has come. He has lived, died, and risen for us. In Him we find not only forgiveness, but deliverance from sins of the heart that leads to the sins of the tongue. In utter weakness, our hearts can be filled with joy as we reflect on the grandeur of Christ's provision. In Him our words find hope, end of quote. I love that statement. He's taking that gospel liberation and he's applying it even to our words. And when the gospel liberation grabs hold of us like that, then we all of us, we can be honest for crying out loud. We can finally say, sometimes, you know, I do use my words and, and speak down to the serpent's level. And so I'm sorry for the way I talked to you a minute ago. 
You know, it's, it, it's true. I, I, I do use my words to try to win arguments instead of actually persuading and understanding. And I was trying to rule over you. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? You can do that because it's gospel liberation, because Jesus came for that very sin among others. And he died on our behalf, was raised for our justification, and is now King of kings and Lord of lords. Gospel liberation turns, the gospel liberation comes and turns us from the power of Satan to the life-giving, love-giving, liberty-giving God, and it includes forgiveness, that cleaning the slate off. But notice it goes further. It's not that we individually have the slate cleaned. Notice the rest of Jesus' words. The gospel liberation includes that last statement he makes in verse 18. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh, oh, gospel liberation brings us freely deeper into fellowship with others who have been liberated the exact same way by the same Jesus. Together. More I can say, more I have said, but I'm going to kind of leave it there. I want you just to see it. And so all of this from to work of the gospel is gospel liberation that includes being liberated together, believing and belonging together. And so this gospel gives us gospel liberation, but it gushes forth from God's story. And that's Paul's words when you get down to verse 22. And 23, when he says to Agrippa, And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing. Saying nothing. But what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Messiah must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim the light, light both to our people and to the Gentiles. My friends, last week I began pointing this out to you, that this is an important aspect of gospel content. And it gush, it's the fact that it gushes forth from God's story. So if you remember last week, 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul is laying out the gospel as of first importance, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, like, this is what I mean. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day from the dead according to the scriptures. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I've been set apart for the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand in the prophets as they're contained in the holy scriptures. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed. And we're going to come to that part in the Nicene Creed that clearly says it this way. Christ suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. Now when Paul uses that phrase in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 15, he's pointing to uh, the Hebrew Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And when we come to the Nicene Creed and we say those words and say according to the Scripture, we're actually broadening that, including the New Testament, but also the Hebrew Scriptures. My friends, it's an important aspect of the gospel that it gushes out of God's age-old story that we have chronicled for us in the Hebrew Scriptures. And yet this important aspect is often neglected and frequently overlooked. 
But this is very much gospel content. You see, to come and remedy the shipwreck of God's good creation, that's Genesis 3, right? The shipwreck of God's good creation. All creation, as Paul says in Romans 8, um, was subjected to futility. And so to remedy the shipwreck of God's good creation and to remedy the train wreck of God's good creatures. What did God say about all these things after he created humankind? He said they're very good, right? And so to remedy the train wreck of God's good creatures, what did God do? The train wreck you can hear in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. For by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so to remedy the shipwreck of God's good creation, and to remedy the train wreck of God's good creatures, the good God, the creator God, began promising from almost day one, promising to Adam and Eve the remedy. As he says to the serpent in front of Adam and Eve, he says... I'm going to put hostility between you, serpent, and the woman. Between her offspring and your offspring. And her offspring will crush your head. And your offspring will only, only bruise his heel. From Genesis 3.15 on, God is already promising remedy is coming. He made promises to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, or Abraham, your offspring will be the blessing of all the nations and all the families of the earth. And that same promise was made by God over to Isaac and Jacob. And it went on through Moses and Israel to King David. David, you will not build my house, but I'm going to build your dynasty. In fact, I'm going to elevate one of your sons who's going to be my son, and I'm going to raise him up and put him on your throne, and he will reign forever and ever. So the good God, the creator God promised, he promised to Adam and Eve, to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Israel, to David, and to Joseph, Matthew 1, and to Mary, Luke 1, that he would reclaim and he would recoup. He would reclaim and he would recoup his creation and his creatures. And he was going to do it through a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David. And the gospel announces that he has launched this promised world rescue operation through his incarnate, crucified, resurrected, enthroned son, Jesus Christ the Lord, the descendant, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David. You even heard it in Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1 during the call to worship. Remember, remember these words? Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, and he's a descendant of David, according to my gospel. It's gospel content. Showing how God's work is flowing out of God's story, how all of this is flowing out of what God has been doing all along. The shipwreck of God's creation and the train wreck of God's creatures is now being addressed. And it is being addressed with rescue and restoration and renovation. My friends, that was the hope, for example, that was anticipated in Isaiah 35. That was the hope anticipated in Isaiah 35 that we read in our Old Testament passage. Looking forward to that remedy when even God would come in judgment to save his people. 
when God's creatures, broken and wounded and lame and beaten up, would be restored, when God's creation that had been turned into a desert and a wilderness would become again a fruitful field and a glorious forest. Oh, looking forward to this day. That's always been God's plan. And so the gospel gives us gospel liberation that gush, and it gushes forth from God's story. And so this all means that God planned God's planned world reclamation project, even though it should have failed repeatedly, has begun and is unstoppably running toward the inevitable end of success. Even though God's creatures, you and me, throughout the ages have fumbled and flopped with all of our foibles, follies, failures, and fiascos. Six F words, and they were all clean. <laughs> Even though it has often looked like God lost and was the biggest, biggest loser ever and should have thrown the towel in. And yet God did not throw in the towel. God did not hit the reset button. Caleb always gets on me and Anna. Why is my computer not working? Dad, have you rebooted it yet? But God didn't reboot the store. He did not start over from scratch. God didn't forfeit the game. God didn't pick up his ball and head off to a brand new stadium and start all over with a whole new game with a whole bunch of new referees and new players and new re uh, all those things. He didn't do that. He didn't take his script and wad it up and trash it and then pull out a whole new clean sheet and start the story over again. He didn't do that. Instead, he is faithful even when it is costly to himself because he is the one who swears to his own hurt and does not change, to use the words from Psalm 15. Now, my friends, it often appeared that God needed to forfeit the game and start all over. Just as it often appears even in our day. But think about what that would have meant if he had had to do that, if he did that. If he had forfeited the game and started all over with a brand new script, do you realize who would have really won? The devil. I could screw up creation so bad God can never fix it. Watch this, baby. If God had to start all over again from a brand new script and with a reboot button, all that, who would have won? It wouldn't have been God. It would have been damnation and doom that won. Sin. That we actually had sinned so bad God couldn't turn it all around. Human stupidity and insurrection would have won. We can make things so bad God just can't fix it. Watch this. The losers, yeah, we would have been thumping our chest thinking we won. It would look like God had utterly lost, but in the end, we also would have lost big time. But the gospel comes and announces that the time has come and that God has, just as he has promised, 
is reclaiming and recouping his creation and creatures, and he's doing it through a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, and his name is Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord. And this reclaiming and recouping gives gospel liberation. It sets captives free because he is, he is remedying the train wreck of his creatures. And it's been the plan all along. And everything in God's story, from the Old Testament through the New, is flowing into it and is flowing forth from it. And that's why you bump into this good news, this gospel clear back in the Hebrew Scriptures. Just think of Isaiah 35. And the Hebrew Scriptures keep moving us forward in this direction. And the fact that his world rescue operation has been his persistent plan. Think about that. It's been his persistent plan through the millennia. Despite all the obstacles, despite all the apparent defeats, despite all of the shipwreck, despite all of the train wreck, it has been his persistent plan. He's been moving in this direction all along. Well, what is that? Love. Love. He could have said, I'm done with you, yahoos. And he didn't. It's love. And the fact that it was persistent, God's persistent movement forward like this all through the ages and millennia, what is that? Steadfast love. Steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Well, my friends, you may ask, what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to ask the kids to help me out again because the parents have forgotten what we did last week, but you kids have it, so I'm going to ask you to stand up, kids. Come on. Come on, kids. We're going to do the, this thing. Remember this? This receive thing, this own thing, and then the pass it on, right? Pass it on, right? So what do we do with the gospel? We receive the gospel. Then what? We own the gospel. And then what? We pass on the gospel. Let's do it again, because I didn't see your parents catching on yet. Okay, help your parents catch on. And the older people here too, right? Here we go. Ready? What do we do with the gospel? We receive the gospel. We own the gospel. We pass on the gospel. Thank you very much. You may have a seat. So what do we do with this? Well, the first thing we do is we receive the gospel. We receive it. As Jesus said, he's, he's preaching the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Receive the gospel. Receive Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. What does that mean? That means you can't do enough to get it. Sorry. Your resume will not save you. You cannot impress God enough because if you realize how train wrecked we are, you would go, just ain't enough I can do. And that's the grace aspect of this whole thing. God is doing all of this. We heard it today in the class this morning from Psalm 49. But God. This is one of those but God aspects. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy. And so what do you do? You receive the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Embracing, and, and, and embracing Jesus Christ as He is freely offered in the gospel. And as you bow to Him and submit to Him and rely upon Him, who is the King, and you call Him Lord, 
you find that this very same king, as I've said before, is kneeling down to you and grabbing your face and having you look full in his face. And he says to you, my friend, I don't know if that touches you, but it sure touches me. My brother, my sister. And you find him bringing you in to receive all of his inheritance with him. With him. He's not scandalized by you. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, no. Steve Salomon? No, too bad. Sorry, Steve, you can't. Okay. He doesn't do that. Aren't you glad, Steve? He brings us in to enjoy the inheritance with him. He brings him in to the embrace and the love and the fellowship of the royal family, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He brings us in to be part of his world rescue operation. He brings us in to be part of in him, part of, somehow, the remedy to his shipwrecked creation and his train-wrecked creatures. He brings us in, and we go, but Lord, I'm not entitled to any of this. You're right. I have no claim to any of this. I couldn't be good enough. You're right. It's not about you, baby. It's about the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. Receive the gospel. I have been praying for weeks as I was preparing for this series, been praying as I've been doing this series. That someone here would stop pushing Jesus away and would finally make this the day. Yes, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in Him. Submit to Him. Rely upon Him. I pray for you that this is the day. And so we receive the gospel and then we own the gospel. We never leave the gospel behind. I was just talking about words a minute ago. Did somebody not sit there and as I was talking about words, not speaking up to the standard of God, but down to the standard of serpent? Didn't somebody say, oh, Lord, help me. He's talking about me again. And what do you need to hear? You need to hear the gospel. You need the gospel. I need the gospel all the time. Our God reigns. And his name is Jesus, and here's, what he is, here's who he is, what he has done, is doing, will do for even the likes of me still today. Own the gospel. And also then thirdly, you pass on the gospel. You pass on the gospel. I've already given you kind of a framework. If somebody, one of your friends sits down and asks you, tell me about this Christian faith thing. I've already given you just a four-part summary you can use. Well, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing. And let me tell you what Jesus will do. You can go there. Pass on the gospel. You make it your own, pass it on. Share it with others and then bring in. Oh, by the way, all of this was as God promised. All along. From Genesis 3 on. He's been working in this all the way through. It's all according to scriptures. And so let us, everybody ready? Let us receive the gospel, own the gospel, pass on the gospel. Let's pray. Truly as we sang in that hymn, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? As we contemplate what the gospel really is and, and hear again afresh its contents, oh, 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 how it makes many of our hearts sing that you would do this 
for us. That while we were still ungodly, at the right time, you did this for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, rich in mercy, you did this for us. Forgive us, Lord, when we become numb to this. And so, Lord, I pray, all of us, receiving the gospel, owning the gospel, and passing it on, will watch you do amazing things through the gospel. And may our friends and our family and some of our enemies come to experience that gospel liberation and turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to you, our life-giving, love-giving, liberty-giving God. In Jesus' name, amen.